All right, so would you open up to Psalm 119? We have made it to the longest psalm, and who knows how long we'll be here. And so I decided I don't want to have to come up with a different title every week, so let's call it The Excellent Word and then just part whatever. (laughs) And so it's going to be The Excellent Word Part 1. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses of this psalm this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of an introduction. This is an anonymous author. Um, So we don't know who wrote Psalm 119, and it doesn't seem to be like some of the other psalms that are kind of the spontaneous, whatever's going on in the person's life and just kind of writing the psalm. It seems to be something different. Um, C.S. Lewis compared this to embroidery, uh, where every stitch is thought out, and, and this work of embroidery that takes some time to put together, that seems to be what this psalm is. And so it's uh, many of my favorite verses come from this psalm. It's wonderful. To give you a little overview, it's 176 verses divided up into 22 sections of eight. So it's, it's by design, and so every section is actually, in the original Hebrew, each of those eight verses start with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so what we'll be looking at today in our first eight verses, will the, the Hebrew uh, letter of Aleph, um, and then the second eight verses will be the Hebrew letter Beth. And, and so uh, that doesn't necessarily come across, obviously, in our English translations, but it's something very interesting to think about. It's called an acrostic, and so uh, exciting stuff here. And uh, just, you know, really what the whole point of Psalm 119 is, it's all about the glory of the Word of God about the word of God is glorious. And so we'll expand on that as we move through, but some have unrighteously criticized Psalm 119 in saying, well, it's, it's too much focused on the word and not focused enough on God. We're gonna see that that's not true because you can't really truly focus on the word of God without focusing on the God of the word. It just doesn't happen. And so what I want to do, and I think that this is a key for every single believer's life, if you're to know God rightly, you need to know his word rightly. Because God has revealed himself primarily, foundationally, through his word. Now, God may speak to you specifically about something. He may show you something. But you always have to come back to God's word and says, this thing that I believe God spoke to me doesn't line up with the word of God. The word of God is foundational, and I think that the Lord has laid this out from the very first verse of the Bible. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we're told how he created it is he created by speaking. So God's word is powerful. God's word is creative. God's word is, you know, what has brought us to faith in Christ. And Jesus Christ is called in John chapter 1, the word of God. And so it's really, really important for us to to take time to dig into these verses. And I just find this to be so practical. Um, Psalm 119, I was a little nervous as like I was, you know, preparing to study for it and how long is it going to take and all this kind of stuff. And then as I just sat down and I decided, you know what, I felt led by the Lord. Let's just take it eight verses at a time. Let's just take it a section like that. Let me study it, see what happens. I was just so blessed. There's, there's so much here. It was just so fun to put this study together. So let's jump into these first eight verses. Again, these are Aleph. Um, and the, they all start with Aleph in the Hebrew alphabet. And so we'll just look at verse one to begin with. And we read, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And so what we're confronted immediately with is a beatitude. This is a beatitude. You remember the beatitudes from there in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and, uh, you know, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and all those blessings. So, so what we have is instruction and it's helpful for us to know how to live a blessed life. And that word blessed actually means happy. It's a state of bliss. It's a state of happiness. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but sometimes we can, as Christians, make too fine a distinction between joy and happiness. And we have this thing, well, happiness is temporary and it's based on circumstances and joy is deeper and all kinds of, and I kind of understand that and I've taught that before, but actually the more that I study the word of God, the word of God doesn't necessarily make that distinction. The word of God says, hey, I want you to lead a happy life. Now, where the problem comes in is where we seek happiness is often the wrong places. We seek happiness in temporary things. We seek happiness in sinful things. And then we're upset because that, that happiness or what we call happiness is fleeting. But you know what the scripture calls that? It calls it the passing pleasures of sin. So it's really not happiness at all. It's a, it's a sinful, uh, you know, sinful flesh being satisfied for a moment 
and then it goes away. So instead, I, I really want us to kind of take back happiness. That true biblical happiness is a thing that God wants us in him to be happy, to be happy in him, to, to, to be satisfied in him. And so this is beautiful. And, and Brandon and I got to experience this this week. We were gone at high school retreat and it was super hot. <laughs> uh, there was no air conditioning there at the camp in Spicewood, Texas. And Brandon and I worked in the kitchen for most of the week. And so it was really, really hot but it was really, really fun. And it, it was, I was so happy during that time. Sweating and working and learning that convection ovens, every shelf doesn't necessarily cook just the same. And doing all of these things, I just loved it so much. And it was wonderful. It was hectic, but we were there with other believers. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. I was so happy there. And it was awesome because I was happy in the Lord serving people and getting to experience different people's giftings and working together and and it was just a wonderful wonderful time and, and really that's what the psalmist is talking about here he's telling us how we can live a happy life how we can enjoy this life this short life that we live here on this planet and so he's telling them how they can be happy and the honest you know if we're honest we want to be happy and even if you might be a person who like me in your sinfulness is kind of bent toward pessimism or cynicism, actually you're happy in that state. You've trained yourself that there's some kind of a kick off of being discontent, off of being frustrated. It sounds, it sounds kind of counter until you're honest and say, yeah, that's actually right. So, but the, that's not what the Lord wants us. He wants us a higher level happiness and he tells us how that can happen as we move through this psalm. So we see here, blessed are the undefiled in the way. And so I wanna look at these words for a minute. That word undefiled means blameless or complete. Blameless or complete. In other words, a person who there's, there's not some kind of prevailing sin in their life that they're fostering, that they're continuing on. It's a person who is not sinless perfection because none of us are, but it's a person who you look at their life and there's nothing that they're really holding on to sinfully that when they do sin, they repent of that. They ask for help. They, they, they confess it. So it's this idea of being blameless or complete and then it says undefiled in the way. What does that in the way mean? It means way of life or walk of life. In other words, happy is the person who as a general trend of their life is walking with the Lord, is doing what the Lord asked. That, that that's where happiness is found. That's where joy is found. And, and so we see that who walk in the law of the Lord, simply obey God's commands. Walking in the way of the Lord, th that means that you're just doing what God told you to do. So here's lesson number one. The obedient life is the blessed life. The obedient life is the blessed life. I remember it clear as day. It was my first job out of college. I worked at a rough school um, in, in Houston, and I remember there was a kid out, and they were kind of having like some kind of like recess time, if you will, and the kid just wasn't listening to me, and I just yelled at him from across the field, just obey, and then one of my teachers turned to me and said, that's a word you don't hear very often anymore, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, maybe a Sprite commercial will hear, obey your thirst, right, maybe those sort of things, but we don't generally hear that obedience is a good thing. Well, get ready because that's what the word of God says. That's what this psalm says. And that's where happiness is found. The obedient life is the blessed life. There's no getting around it. So if you say, I want to be happy as a believer, but I don't want to be obedient, I'll say, you're not going to make it. If you want to be happy, if you want to have joy, if you want to have peace, then obey. Proverbs 13, 15 says this, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. See, the way of disobedience is hard. Look at, look at our, our nation. Look at cities that are given over to disobedience. And say, is life good there? Is that the kind of life that we want? No, absolutely not. You know, it's, uh, I love working at, at Midland Class School, and I think it's an awesome place. It's not perfect, but it's a wonderful place. And I've, I've made it my mission to help people who are at MCA to stop calling it, well, when we get out to the real world. That's false. Everywhere that we've ever lived has been the real world. Okay, even if you're putting on a VR and you're spending all day in your VR, you're still in the real world, you're just pretending you're not. 
Okay, so MCA is a wonderful place, not because it's, it's a false world or it's a different world, it, but it's because it's a place in general where people obey the Lord. So this place, hopefully when you come to it on a Sunday morning and you feel the joy here and you feel the peace here and you're excited to be here, this is not different from the real world. This is just a part of the real world where people are seeking the Lord. That's why this place is different. Then that's why you can set your purse somewhere in this building and it still be there when you come back to it. Where if you try that at many other places, it's not gonna be there. Why? Well, because there's people here who want to obey the Lord, and so all of a sudden, there's a blessing. But the way of the unfaithful is hard. The people who walk in disobedience, they wonder why their life is so bad because God made this world, he's given us directions on how to live it, and they refuse to follow those directions. Well, guess what? It's not gonna turn out. So we should never, never, never Tell a person walking in disobedience, well, it'll be okay as long as you're sincere. We should tell them in love, it's not gonna turn out. It's not gonna work out until you follow the Lord. So simple obedience to God is the key to a happy life. Simple obedience to God, whatever he's put in front of you, is the key to a happy life. And so here's what obedience is, though. Please understand, obedience is a manifestation of trust, obedience is a manifestation of trust. Here's what I mean. If I trust God, I will obey him. If I don't trust God, I won't obey him. See, if God says, here's the deal, Steve, I I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And then loving my neighbor as myself, it's hard and it's challenging and all those kind of things. But I say, well, God, God, I trust him, so I'm gonna go ahead and do this thing. But if I say, you know what, God's got it wrong. He just doesn't really know what he's talking about. And so I'm going to treat my neighbor like garbage because that makes me feel good in the moment. But then I see how it turns out afterwards. Well, it's a manifestation that I haven't trusted God. So our level of obedience is a direct reflection of our trust in God. Anyone who is walking in disobedience is saying, I do not trust God. But when we do walk in obedience, we're saying we do trust God. Let's move on to verse two here. We have another beatitude. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. So here it is again. Obedience brings blessing, right? What does it mean to keep his testimonies? Now, as we're gonna move through, we're gonna see there's a bunch of different words that mean the same thing that essentially mean the word of God. Testimonies are the word of God, okay? It's just another word. He's gonna use a lot of different words because he's an artist, Right, And so he's going to change it up as he moves. So blessed are those who keep his testimonies. In other words, obedience brings blessing. And then we next see here, who seek him with the whole heart. Who seek him with the whole heart. So this speaks of a single-minded devotion to the Lord. One thing that I, uh, so a single-minded devotion to the Lord. One of the things I drill into every student who's ever had me in any class, it doesn't matter if it's a Bible class or not, is by the time they leave MCA, they're gonna remember the greatest commandment. And I ask them in all my class, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where's that from? Well, Jesus said it, but he took it from Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, this is what it means to seek him with the whole heart. If you wanna bless life, seek him with your whole heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The greatest commandment. So the idea here is that we're not to be compartmentalized. We're not to be like, on Sundays I'll love the Lord, but you know, once I get to, to work on Monday, well, you know, business just has to be done this way, or I'll love the Lord at home, but I won't love the Lord out at a restaurant, or no, 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 no. If you wanna live a blessed life, then seek him with your whole heart. Seek him, pursue him, go after him, seek relationship with him. Wonderful, wonderful exhortations here. Verse three, they also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Okay, now we look at that, well, they do no iniquity, and we're like, ah, man, I I do some iniquity here and there. Okay, I do, no, here's what it's basically saying. Here's the idea. The scripture knows God knows that we're never gonna reach sinless perfection in this life, okay? So what's being spoken of here in verse three is this idea. The way of iniquity and the way of the Lord are mutually exclusive. The way of iniquity and the way of the Lord are mutually exclusive. 
And so, in other words, if we're going to be people who walk in his ways, we can't at the same time give ourselves over to sinfulness. That we have to make a choice moment by moment. I love how William MacDonald puts it in his commentary. He says, quote, The surest way to abstain from evil is to be completely occupied with doing good. The surest way to abstain from evil is to be completely occupied with doing good. It's been well said, you know, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. So the best thing that we can do is if we're struggling with some kind of sin is instead of fixating on that sin and kind of focusing on that sin, the best thing we can do is, is get about doing good, is actively do good actively serve the Lord, actively pursue the Lord. And, and what's gonna happen is we'll be so busy about pursuing the Lord, we have less and less time and energy for that sin. And the more that we walk with the Lord, the, the easier that will get. In fact, we have this amazing promise from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.16. Please hear what Paul says in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Paul says that the Holy Spirit who, who indwells you, who empowers you, who seals you into the day of redemption, if you walk in the Spirit, in other words, you walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have a choice. We don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but here's the deal. When you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit is going to convict you of things. He's going to redirect you. He's going to say, I know you want to send that text because the Aggie's lost but don't do it. <laughs> and so the, the Holy Spirit will lead you. And so there's a choice to be made. We have this choice. Please understand, believer, you're not some blind victim of fate. You have a choice. You can walk in obedience to the Spirit or in obedience to the lust of our fallen flesh. We're all gonna have lust in our fallen flesh until we go to be with the Lord, but we have a choice. The Holy Spirit will give us the power he will always, please hear me, the Holy Spirit will always lead us to obey the word of God. But in contrast, the flesh will always lead us to give in to our lustful desires. And so we have to make a choice. Whose voice will we listen to? The voice of our lustful flesh or the voice of the Spirit? Now here's the good news. The Holy Spirit doesn't only tell us what to do. He gives us the, the power to do it, the energy to do it, the ability to do it. Let's move on to verse four now says, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. So now notice the psalmist is shifting here, right? He's, he's now speaking directly to God. And we're going to see this back and forth as we move through Psalm 119. Some, sometimes he's speaking directly to the Lord. So he's writing directly to the Lord now. And he says there in verse 4, you, speaking to God, have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. What I want you to notice here is that God's instructions are commands, they're not suggestions. God's instructions are commands, they're not suggestions. If, if you kind of study philosophy, what you'll see is in over, really the last, I would say, 200 years or so, there's been a real shift and how humans have thought about themselves, and they've shifted toward what's called like self-autonomy, right? That, that, that like I'm autonomous, that, that I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I choose what I want. And we see how it's gotten worse and worse as the years have progressed that, that people just say outlandish things about themselves. Here's the reality. We're not autonomous, only God's autonomous. God's the boss, and so he tells us what to do and their commands. Now, here's the thing about a command. You can always disobey a command. You can disobey it, but there are consequences. And, and so God is commanding us what to do, and he wants us to do it diligently, like with our whole heart, to really go after it. So remember this. God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. God is omnipresent. That means he's in all places once. And, and so he, he is that authority. He's the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent authority. And so please hear me. He knows what he's talking about. I don't know how many times I've had to repent for saying, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. <laughs> I constantly think in my absurdity that I know better than God. And I forget these things. And so please understand that a failure to obey the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent authority is always the wrong move, 100% of the time. 
a failure to obey him, uh, saying, I'm just gonna do my own thing, I think God's probably wrong about this thing. It's always a wrong move, always. He always knows what's right. So our job is not to make up commands, our job is to obey commands and to do it diligently. All right, let's look at verses five and six now. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. This is beautiful here. So he's, he's saying these things, right? The psalmist is talking about how good it is to walk in the way of the Lord and how blessed it is to keep his commandments and to seek him with your whole heart, to do these diligently. But then he's directing his prayer to God, asking God to help him to actually obey. So the psalmist is not coming from on high and saying, well, you guys, you know, you little people, if you could just be more like me, then life would be awesome. No, he's saying, I want to be directed to obey you. I want to be directed to do what you want me to do. And so here's an application for you and for I, or you and for me, is that we should pray for help so that we might obey. God, help me to obey. Now, God's going to answer that prayer. It just may not be in a way that you like. Because God, help me obey. And then immediately he puts his finger on something in your life that you, knew, that you know you need to let go of. And you're like, well, I meant some other areas. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. That's the best laugh in a while, right? You're like, there's some things under the closet. And so, so, so this, you know that that's what he's gonna do. But here's, please hear me. As you obey, you're gonna begin to enjoy obeying. As you learn to obey, you're going to enjoy obeying. You know, you're working with teenagers. You know, teenagers are knuckleheads. Let's be honest. All right? Yeah. And, and so there may be some present here today that you're the, the non-knucklehead type, and God bless you. Uh, but most teenagers are. And so as these teenagers are helping work in the kitchen at retreat, you know, there's a crew that helps with the prep and the serving. There's a, there's a crew that comes in and, and helps with the cleaning. It kind of rotates through how they do that. And you can take a kid who maybe in the normal day-to-day life, they don't really kind of walk around the school obeying, but you give them a job and they start doing that job in a humble way and you see how it changes them. And you see how they begin to really like being a part of that and doing something and having a purpose and using their gifts. And it's beautiful. And that's what God wants for us. God, God doesn't, he hasn't created us to be these just random kind of pool balls on the pool table of life just knocking all over the place. No, he created us to, to as members of the body, to, part, to play a part. And so as we begin to obey, we start to get a taste for it and it becomes enjoyable. But here's something else that happens we see here in verses five and six, is that as you obey, not only will you enjoy obeying more, you'll enjoy God's word more. The main reason we don't enjoy God's word is because we come to it and it, it really kind of kicks us in the backside. And so the easiest thing to do is just to close it and say, well, if I don't look at it, I'm not reminded that I'm not obeying. And Netflix isn't going to watch itself. <laughs> right? That, that ends up being our attitude. But, but when we come to the word of God and we start obeying it, then we have that joy of like, man, this is what God made me for. This is, this is who he made me to be, and, and, and that's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And then we go to God's word, and we say, yes, I want to do that thing, and yes, I'm wrong about that, but God is willing to change me, and then we begin to love it more and more and more. And, and so please remember, please don't leave here today and say, well, just Steve wants me to be better, and, and I got to go try to be better. Please remember this. God wants you to obey him, and so he's going to give you the power to obey him. God will give you the power to obey him. God's calling is God's enabling. As he says to you something in his word, then, then he's going to give you the ability to do that. You think about how like, coaches coach up their players. They coach them up fully expecting them to do that thing. And they're going to give them the skills and the ability and the uniform and the equipment to be able to do that thing, to accomplish that purpose. Well, well, the, the God who has it all, the omnipotent God who has all power, he will give you and I the ability to do those things he's called us to do. Let's move on to verse seven now. It says, I will praise you with the uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Okay, so, so, here, so follow this progression. So obedience, right, as we begin to obey, it, begins to, it leads to prayer, okay, as we pray and like, Lord, help me to obey more, and then that leads to praise. 
So obedience leads to prayer, which leads to praise. And it, it kind of becomes a circle again, right? And then we start obeying more and praying more and praising more. And so it's a wonderful thing here that I will praise you with the uprightness of heart. Notice, when I learn your righteous judgments. So as you study the word of God and you start to obey it and you pray to God for help in obeying it, then you begin to praise God. So please understand, if your praise is hindered right now, please look and see if there's an area of disobedience in your life. Because the number one thing that, you, that usually hinders our praise is disobedience. We, there's something inside of us that we're living a divided life, and so as we seek to pray to God and praise God, we know that it's hypocritical and that we're stunted in that. And, and so give that thing over to the Lord. If you and I want a free and open relationship of worship with the Lord, then we should simply obey him. There's no getting around it. Just obey. But as we obey, then what's gonna happen that either we're going to be trusting him more, that we're going to be free and easy with our prayer, free and easy with our worship, and it's going to be beautiful. Verse 8, he says, the psalmist writes, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Okay, so first of all, when he says, I will keep your statutes, this I will statement, it's, it's, he's a, it's a commitment, right? The psalmist is saying, I am committing to a life of obedience. And this is vitally important. It's vitally important that we say, I want to live a life of obedience. I choose that. God's not going to choose it for you. Okay? The, the world is in the state that it's in because people choose to disobey. So God's not going to choose it for you. You already know from God's word he wants you to obey. He gives you the power to obey, but you have to make that choice. And so it's a commitment to that life of obedience. Just as, you know, you, you make a commitment when you get married and say, no matter what, I'm going to stay married to this person. I'm going to continue to love this person. Sickness and health. Is that kind of commitment is what God wants for us in life of obedience. That's what it means to be a disciple, right? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? <laughs> That, that a life of obedience is what we're called to. And then the psalmist says there in verse 8, the end of verse 8, this is kind of jarring for us, oh, do not forsake me utterly. As we look at that, that is likely how the psalmist felt. Right, he's writing these wonderful things. He's aware of his own sinfulness. And so you and I as believers have probably felt this way sometimes. You know, in the midst of our sin and like, has God left me? Is he through with me? Is, the last, is this the last time? Have I gone too far? And that's not how God is. God's not, uh, he doesn't forsake us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will discipline us. He'll chasten us. But, but he's not gonna forsake us utterly. But that's what, it, utterly, that's what it feels like sometimes when we're in our sin. All right, let's move into our second set of eight, our last set of eight for today. This verse is 9 through 16. It's a, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Beth. Verse 9, one of my all-time favorite verses, incredibly powerful verse. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Now, if you're not a young man, don't skip over this verse. Okay? What the psalmist is saying is he's, he's thinking, I, this, is, this is my conjecture. This is my sanctified speculation. I think he's saying, What's the grossest thing in the world? Young man. <laughs> a young man, right, has all the sinfulness and the energy for that sinfulness and all these kind of things and the passions and lusts and the desires. And so if the word of God, if obeying the word of God can cleanse a young man, it can cleanse anyone. That's, I believe that's the story here. That's the point, is that there's no life that can't be cleansed if they'll obey the word of God. It doesn't matter how bad, it doesn't matter how far, it doesn't matter what's happened. And, and so the, the big picture, the big idea from verse nine is obedience to God's word will change the life of anyone. So if anyone comes to me and says, you know what, I, I'm too far gone, it can't happen, I, the word of God can't change me, I'll just say you're not willing to obey. It's not gonna change you without your obedience. Because that's what it says, right? How can a young man cleanse his way? It doesn't say by sitting still or putting the Bible on his head or any of those things. It says by taking heed according to your word. In other words, a young man can cleanse his way by obeying the word of God. And God will do it. God will cleanse us by his word. So if God can do that to a young man, God can do that to anyone. There's no one outside of that 
anyone who is willing to obey God's word can have their life changed. Verse 10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So there's a few words I want to break down here. For, well, the first one is the, the whole heart there. It speaks of undivided loyalties. Okay, undivided loyalties. In other words, that, that you're completely loyal to the Lord. It's not the Lord and Baal and Chemosh and Molech. You know, those were the false gods of old, but, you know, they're the gods, the new gods is, you know, you know sexual sin or, or money. Or, I mean, they're not really new gods. They just have different names. It's the same gods as always. But the idea here is that uh, undivided loyalty. And then notice, with my whole heart, my undivided loyalties, I have sought you. That word sought means an active pursuit, an actively going after the Lord. And then he says, um, Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. That word wander means to go astray, to leave the path. You know, it's like when you're out hiking somewhere and you're going there and then you say, well, I, that, that kind of looks like a path. Let's try that. And then pretty soon the helicopters are out. They're searching for you with dogs. You know, they're trying to find you. That's, that's, that's to wander, to go astray. And so here's the key from verse 10. If we diligently seek God with an undivided heart, we will not go astray. Isn't that beautiful? Now, now, as a believer, you may not have any idea what in the world God is doing in your life right now, and that's okay. You don't need to know. You don't need to know where you are in the story. You don't need to know what God's doing next. All you need to know is that you're seeking God with your whole heart and knowing that even though it seems like madness around you, you're just going to keep on serving the Lord. You're going to keep on putting one foot right in front of another and you can know that you're not going to go astray. So no matter how it feels around you, if you're seeking the Lord, you haven't gone astray. You may feel like you're lost, but he knows right where you are. And so I kind of think of verse 10 like, the difference between a person who's going to college with a specific degree in mind and a person who's going to college and just take random classes with no idea in mind. What God wants us to be is be people who are, are specifically oriented on obeying him, going after him, serving him, bringing everything in our lives in conformity to following him. Not just kind of randomly going day to day and saying, I'll see how I feel today and whatever happens. What God wants from us is, is he wants us to be, please him. So if pleasing God is our telos, that's a Greek word for our end goal. If, if pleasing God is our telos, we will not wander because God tells me how I can please him. Think about that. Every day... If you and I get up and say, God, I want to please you today, and I'm going to look into your word and see how to please you, that no matter how things feel around us, we can know that we're not lost because we're doing the very thing he wants us to do. And, and so this, this is it's hard for us to, to come to grips with because our idea of life is like, well, I need to know my, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan. I need to know how these things turn out. And before I decide to kind of sign off on what God's gotten in my life, I, I really need to see him laid out for me. And he just says no. I would love for God to send me an email every morning about what's going to happen. <laughs> Here it is. Here's Steve. Here's your checklist of 10 things and all that kind of stuff. And he doesn't do that. And I'm sure he has my email address because everybody else does. Um, so so I, I believe that he has that. But what he's, he's saying to us is, hey, just diligently seek me, just keep following after me, and please me, and you won't be lost. You won't wander. Verse 11. Here's another, another wonderful verse. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That, that's a verse I would encourage you to underline, asterisk, memorize, all of that. And here's what's really verse 11 is saying. It's highlighting the importance of internalizing the word of God. Okay, this is a non-negotiable for believers. If you want to be a faithful believer, you must internalize the word of God. We live in a time in human history where we can ec have external memory for everything. You know, there was, there was a, a time, it feels ancient uh, now, people actually memorized phone numbers. And it's funny because I'll watch a show like from the 90s and people will be dialing numbers, calling their friends and I'm just like, wow, that seems so foreign because they remember the phone number. 
but we don't have to do that. And so it's very easy for us to just kind of make everything into an external memory. You know, well, I'm not going to remember any of my passwords. I'm going to kind of have that stored somewhere, and I'm going to have that stored somewhere. And we could do the thing, same thing with the Word of God. Well, I have a Bible, or I have it on my phone, but it, it doesn't, the Bible, you have the Bible, but the Bible doesn't have you. It's, it's not in yourself. And so it's important for us to internalize the word of God. It's not enough to open the Bible on Sunday morning and say, I've done my duty for the week, check. The word of God must be eternalized. You see, the word of God is the most important thing to learn and memorize. And we can all learn and memorize. We can, guys, we can, we can remember sports statistics. We can memorize song lyrics. We can do all kinds of things. But the most important thing for us to learn and memorize is the word of God. And I love this word hidden there in verse 11. He says, your word I have hidden in my heart. That word hidden really means to treasure or to store up. So it's not the idea of, well, I've put your word in my heart because that's my obedient Christian thing to do and I'm gonna kind of grin and bear it. No, it's I've treasured your word in my heart. I've seen the value of your word. Your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. That's what's in my heart. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And as you see people who with the right attitude have treasured God's word in their heart, they've hidden God's word in their heart, they've stored up God's word in their heart, there's just something different about them. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so as we treasure God's word in our hearts, here's what happens. Our hearts are changed and we will walk in obedience. The, the Holy Spirit will bring the word to our mind in that midst of temptation, and we're just like, no, this is what the word of God says, and I'll do that. You practice it. You know, it's just, it's, it's like a person who, you know, they, they, they go to the military academy, and then what happens, they go to a military academy, all of a sudden they walk differently, right? And they address people differently. They stand differently. Why? Because they've been trained by the words that have come forth from their instructors, so it is for you and I, as we treasure God's word in our heart, we'll be changed. And, and I, I wanted to give you this illustration to think about this, to give you this illustration about hiding God's word in your heart. Think about how the state of a home is determined by the occupants of the home. The state of a home is determined by the occupants of the home. If you have good occupants who care about the house, then what's gonna happen is they're gonna take care of the house. If you have bad occupants who don't care about the house, you're going to have a bad home. And so if we fill our hearts with the word of God, what are we doing? We're inviting good occupants into our home. And that word of God will take root in our house, of our bodies, in our homes, in our souls. And then what's going to happen? It's going to show on the outside. But if you and I continue to take in bad occupants, false ideas, and all of these things, then those bad occupants, they're not going to just be content to stay there. They're going to bring destruction. They're going to bring bad behavior. It's, it's just absolutely how it is. Good occupants lead to a good home. Bad occupants lead to a bad home. The scriptures tell us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever's in our hearts, whatever we're about is going to come up. You know, it's, um, how does the saying go? Whatever's in your well comes up in your bucket. Whatever's in your well comes up in your bucket. And so for you and I, store the good occupants in our lives and our lives will be changed. There's an old saying, you get out what you put in. Or in computing terms, it's garbage in, garbage out. Right? If, if the programming is garbage, then the output of that program is going to be garbage. If you and I fill our hearts and minds with good stuff, that's, that's allowing good occupants to live in our lives. But if we fill it with bad stuff, only bad stuff's going to come out. It's inevitable. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And so one thing I missed, I missed the last part of verse 11. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory, though that as we hide God's word in our heart, we're not gonna sin against him. <laughs> as we hide God's word in our heart, what are we gonna do? We're gonna live a life of obedience. We've talked about obedience plenty. I, I won't beat that drum anymore. Let's move on to verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Okay, here's the big lesson from verse 12, is be teachable. Be teachable. I, I believe this wholeheartedly, what I'm about to tell you. Well, I believe everything I've said wholeheartedly, but anyway. God can do what he wants with a person who's teachable. 
God can do whatever he wants with a person who's teachable. I, I've seen this my whole life and, and you know, growing up. Uh, I've always been around school. My parents taught in the same school for 41 years. I was always been around school and I saw this in college and I saw this when I became a believer and I've seen this in church and I've seen this everywhere that a person who's teachable and moldable can do all kinds of things with them. But a person who crosses their arms and says, I won't be taught, there's no hope for that person until they humble themselves. You see, there's, there's, that God can do whatever he wants with a person who's teachable, but there's no hope for the person who's unteachable. Nothing can be done for that person until they humble themselves and become teachable. So being teachable is essential. So, so for you to come up on a Sunday morning and to sit here and be taught by me, and who am I, right? Who am I to teach you? I, you, you honor me by coming here and, and, and hopefully God has, has and I, I know that God has gifted me and God uses me in spite of all my faults and failures, but you are demonstrating this truth that if you'll be teachable, God can do stuff in your life. We're all, that, that's how it is. So, so let's be teachable. Let's have that heart. Let's go to the Lord and say, blessed are you, God. <laughs> Happy are you, God. Teach me your statutes. Make me teachable. God can do anything with a teachable person. Verse 13, with my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. Okay. If we believe the word of God, then we'll share the word of God. If we believe the word of God, then we will share the word of God. You know, when we get on the internet and, and we find something else that's kind of going on in society or in the news, and we believe it to be true, then we end up talking about it. Hey, can you believe what's happening over here? Or have you seen this hurricane that's building up in the, in the Atlantic? Or we, we share those things because we believe them to be true. Same principle. If we believe the word of God, we'll share the word of God. And so then there's a reality here as we think about verse 13, when it says, with my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. The reality is we talk about what we focus on. We talk about what we focus on. And so this is very convicting for me because I, I like kind of keeping up with what's going on with movies and TV these days and kind of what's a trend. And I find that when that's all that I start talking about with people, I realize I'm spending too much time on this. I'm focusing too much on this. This is, this is distracting me. And, and so the reality is, is we talk about what we focus on. So just listen to yourself this upcoming week and see the kind of words that are coming out of your mouth or kind of the, the subject matter, kind of what stuff you're talking about and then see is it the word of God? Is it making its way in there? Or is it about something else? And if it's just some, about something else, then it's time to really get back to the word of God. Focus on the word of God. I love how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we connect that back with, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we're hiding God's word in our heart, we're treasuring God's word in our heart, then what's gonna happen? Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If God's word is in our heart, then that's what we're gonna be talking about. If we're focusing on God's word and studying God's word and, and excited about God's word, then that's what's gonna come out of our hearts. And that's how you edify people. That's how you bless people. That's how you encourage people. And so, so here's a wonderful truth. The more of the word of God that we take in, the more that we'll share it with others. It, it's gonna be an overflow. Like your, your cup is gonna run over. As you study and listen to the word of God, it's gonna be the natural overflow. You're not gonna be like, well, it's 9 a.m. I haven't talked about the word of God yet. Let me go harangue somebody, you know, and tell them about the Lord. No, as you spend your time, effort, and energy bringing the word of God into your life, hiding it in your hearts, God's not gonna allow it to just stay in your heart. He's gonna, it's gonna overflow. It, it's going to come out of your mouth and it's gonna bless those people around you. Verse 14 I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I found this to be the most convicting verse uh, in, in this section that we've covered today because really here's what it's saying in our kind of our modern vernacular. We should rejoice in the word of God just as much as if we won the lottery. That's exactly what it's saying. That's exactly what it's saying. Notice again, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. So if, if you went home today and you had won the lottery, you know, and there's a, a you know, they got the big, big guy and $10 million check for you. Like the excitement that you feel in that, the psalmist is saying that should be our same excitement when we come to the word of God. He's not saying that you don't 
necessarily get excited about riches, but he's saying that the word of God should be just as sure. And and the thing is, the the riches of this world, they're gonna fade away, but the word of the God the word of God remains forever. The two things, you know, that you know it's the I guess three things last forever, right? The obviously God, okay, but then he says it's it's his word and it's people. And so this wonderful picture here. Let me read for you what it says about this in Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, the judgments, of the, the judgments of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And here it is. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That, so that we should desire the word of God more than gold. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful picture here. Now let's continue on to verse 15. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. And so that first word meditate is a very interesting word. Uh, You know, it's kind of has this idea of, you know how the cows, when they chew the cud, (laughs) just chewing it. And so that's kind of what it means to meditate. It's like kind of working it over and over. It means to ponder. And it's interesting, also this word meditate in Hebrew, it means to converse about with yourself. Kind of like this talking to yourself about it, thinking about it, pondering, trying to understand it. What does this mean? How does this work out? All of those things. So that's what it means to meditate on the word of God. And then to contemplate, the, the Hebrew word means to look intensely in a focused way at something. To really study it, to think about it. And it's because of the, w- the way my crazy brain works. I was thinking about like when you're trying to take a splinter out. You know, and it's funny how a splinter is so small, but it hurts so much. And as you're trying to get it, and you know, if, you, if you're of a certain age, you might have to get the readers out and all kinds of different things. But as you're trying to, that, that, that's all your focus is on, right? Is just focusing on that. And that's the idea here as you contemplate on the word of God, that we're like turning off all those things that distract us so we can fixate, focus in on the word of God. And so the, the lesson for us as believers is that we should expend time, effort, and energy in considering the word of God. Time, effort, and energy in considering the word of God. Because at the, at the Bama seat of Christ, where we go to answer for how we've lived our lives as believers, I don't think Jesus is going to chastise us for knowing the word of God too well. I, I don't think that's one of the things that he's going to, he, you know, he may say, you know, a little bit too much time watching football. Um, but when it comes to the word of God, that's a good thing. And so, it's, so meditate on it, contemplate it. Uh, and so uh, the reality, let me share you a reality with you, and you know this, but it's a good reminder. No one, no one becomes skilled in the word of God by accident. No one becomes skilled in the word of God by accident. It's always a result of intentionality. It's always a result of intentionality. Now, obviously, God gives gifts, right? God gives gifts and the ability to teach or these different things. That's, that's absolutely true. You still have to work on it. You still have to study it. The Holy Spirit can't bring something to your remembrance that was never brought in in the first place. And so I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Last letter Paul wrote, he said this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul doesn't say, don't worry, Tim. Hey, you you got the word of God. God give you a gift to be a pastor and a leader. You don't have to study. It'll just come to you. Let the Spirit lead. That's not what he says. He says, be diligent, work hard to be approved to God. God's going to hold you accountable for this. Be a worker, someone who goes after it. And that rightly dividing, it actually speaks of cutting it straight. You know, it's this idea of, of someone who works with a garment and then cuts it just right, fits pieces together as they should be. So it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. But if we're, if we're going to become skilled in the word of God, we're going to have to work at it. Final verse, verse 16 says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That word delight there means taking joy in or enjoyment from something. And so you can read Psalm 1 on your own. Psalm 1 talks about this, about the joy of the word of God. But it's just, I, I love that, that. That coming to God's word can be a joy. It can be a delight. And like any delightful relationship, a delightful relationship with the word of God is a function of time. The, the, one of the wonderful things about retreat 
and going on is spending time with the other teachers who have been who have been teaching there for years and there's this relationship of years so there's those inside jokes and there's common experiences and, and all of that would be impossible if we didn't spend time together so it's impossible for you and I to delight in the word of God if we don't spend time in the word of God and so that, that delightful relationship's a function of time. So spend time in God's word, seek to understand and obey it, and here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna delight in it. And this was true for Jeremiah. Jeremiah had one of the most difficult ministries in the Bible, but this is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It's a wonderful picture. Then he says, I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. Let me offer to you that this can only be accomplished by continually studying the word of God. You cannot study the word of God once. Cannot like, well, I read through the whole thing and I checked that box and I've got my Christian badge. And then say, I won't forget it. No, the only way you don't forget God's word is you continually come back to it. We forget things all the time. And so we have to come back and come back and come back. So it says this in Psalm 1, verse 2, that, he, that the, the godly man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So if we want to fulfill verse 16 and not forget God's word, the only way to actually fulfill that is to continually come back to God's word, continually read God's word, continually hear God's word. So we'll stop here for today and Lord willing pick up in verse 17 next week. But I do want to give you or leave you with three takeaways from this study. Number one, the obedient life is the blessed life. Please understand that. The entire world lies under the sway of the devil, the scriptures say. And so the entire world tells you this, the blessed life is doing whatever you want, is being your own master of choosing your own way, is looking out for number one, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. The only blessed life is the obedient life. As you put yourself, as I put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ every moment of every day, you're gonna experience blessing. You're gonna experience happiness. Number two, it's essential that we internalize the word of God. It's, it's great to have a, the, a physical copy of God's word, absolutely, to digital copies, all those things. That's wonderful, but we can't leave them out there. They must be brought in. They must be internalized. They must be hidden in our hearts, treasured in our hearts. And then thirdly and finally, if we wanna be skilled in the word of God and delight in the word of God, then we must spend time in the word of God. If we want to be skilled in God's word and delight in God's word, we must spend time in God's word. And as we do, he will bless it. Let's pray.